Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast from the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts and their clients. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with interesting people from across the world about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today, I'm joined by Henry Fawn, partner and head of our private office in the Middle East. Henry and I had such an interesting conversation about his decision to teach himself Arabic upon moving from London to Dubai, what it was like to work across so many different countries and time zones, and why he's so passionate about utilising social media to improve his connections with clients and generate new business for Knight Frank. Henry began his career at Knight Frank nine years ago on our graduate programme, where he qualified as a chartered surveyor. After two years, Henry moved to Dubai and has risen up the ranks to become the head of international project sales. Henry is a specialist in advising clients on the purchase, sale and management of UK residential property and working alongside colleagues on prime property across Europe and North America. Now he has taken on the task of establishing the latest string to our private office's bow in the Middle East. Henry, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Thank you. Good afternoon. It is a pleasure to be here. How are you doing today? How are things over in Dubai at the moment, especially with everything going on with lockdowns and coronavirus and all of that sort of stuff? Of course, I'm actually just returned from London to the Middle East. Um, So it's very nice to be back here on the ground in Dubai. Um, Certainly, yes, things are a little tougher during the lockdown phase, um, but um, it appears things are slowly getting back to normal. Mm, And what were things like in the the midst of everything going on? Was it as extreme as it was in London? What was the situation like over there? Certainly somewhat similar, Becky. Um, Not too much in terms of daily activity. Um, Getting outside and getting out and about was... uh, a little bit more tedious as expected, but uh, certainly worthwhile to keep everyone as safe as possible. Mm. And what did you find the impact on on the property market was? Have things started to recover? How have things been? What's the market currently looking like? Locally there, of course, things were a little quieter during the summer months and during the lockdown time. Now at the moment, we're seeing a huge tick up in interest and transactional volumes. Uh, And my colleagues who specialize in our local brokerage uh, have had a busy last few months or so with new clients coming here seeking uh, properties on the ground. Mm, that's really interesting. And and have you found that things, obviously, with international travel being so limited, have you found that the international side of, of what you do, so business between London and the Middle East and the Middle East and other countries around the world, have you found that that's been limited or, or damaged or, or actually improved at all during this period? We have actually seen that travel has been limited. Yes, I would agree. Um, certainly my clients that typically travel over the summer months uh, perhaps June, July, August, uh, they might come to London, they might come to the wider UK, perhaps stop into Europe or US or otherwise. That was certainly put on hold this past summer. In most recent few weeks, we've seen a few more parties looking to travel around, but again, uh, very few in terms of the wider numbers that we'd normally expect. Uh, perhaps looking ahead to the coming Christmas period, there might be a little bit more travel to be had. And so to begin the podcast, what we normally do is we take a look back at where your property career started and find out how you decided to get into the industry in the first place. So would you mind telling us what was the driving force behind choosing a career in property? I worked in a family property company from a very young age whenever I was able to. Um, And during summer holidays and even weekends, I perhaps could be found on a construction site or, or maybe even an auction house and enjoyed all aspects of real estate. Um, The interest was then sparked, and from then I've never looked back. Uh, Upon leaving school, I pursued a degree in real estate, and then after graduation, was fortunate enough to secure a place with Knight Frank on the graduate scheme in London. 
And for you, was it always more, were you always looking to go down more the kind of the graduate scheme route? Did you ever think about going into straight into an office or were you wanting to get those more formal qualifications before you actually started um, pursuing things? Great question there. Um, many people uh, go down either channel on this. My particular route I preferred at the time was to pursue the degree and then uh, become chartered as a chartered surveyor. Uh, through the graduate scheme program. Um, that was the route I preferred because it could give me exposure to perhaps all markets, whether it be um, transactional wise or even evaluations or, or advisory pieces as well. Um, so I was looking uh, to uh, have exposure to all parts of real estate as opposed to uh, merely just the transactional side. And when you were on the graduate program, did you find yourself gravitating towards certain sectors over others? Did you ever think about um, moving into say, commercial property or was it always residential for you? Was that always the route that you wanted to go down and it was more a case of, of working out what in particular you wanted to do throughout that program? The graduate scheme at Night Frank, um, it, I was very fortunate to gain a place. The exposure you get to all of the markets across London, whether it's development sales, valuation, asset management, or even sustainability of certain commercial buildings as well, was very interesting. You get a very broad um, education on what real estate is. Um, so we're very fortunate in that offering. Um, that then enabled me to refine in as to which parts of the real estate I really felt uh, I was interested in and wanted to pursue longer term. Uh, in my case, that was more down the transactional side of real estate. Um, so looking at the transaction of residential property. Mm, and you and you decided to move move to Dubai after after the graduate program. What in particular inspired this decision? Was this something that was always a, a goal for you? Did you always think that you were going to take your career more international, or was it something that you you saw an opportunity come up and decided to take it? I was in London at the time and a few colleagues were doing a fantastic job, Becky, of traveling overseas and generating business uh, for the UK and more specifically the London property markets and felt that could have been something I would have an interest in to pursue. Um, an opportunity came up whereby I secured a place for a secondment to our Dubai office at the time. Um, having been placed there for nine weeks, I came back to the UK and was given the opportunity again to return after the grad scheme finished. I felt that was a too good a placement to miss out on. Yeah, no, it sounds like an amazing opportunity. And and what in particular was it about being in Dubai, being in the Middle East, working in those markets that particularly got you hooked? What was it that you loved so much about it? I enjoyed perhaps having a little change from London as well at the time, Becky, um, which is its pace, change of life. Uh, the culture is very different in the Middle East and having the opportunity to work in different markets and travel the region. Um, from here, I'm not just based here in Dubai, but travel around the region, perhaps Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bahrain, Oman, I've conducted events in Pakistan recently, Egypt. Um, so I have a very broad education in terms of the, the Middle Eastern markets here, which is something I, I perhaps wouldn't have been able to gain so much of uh, being situated in London. And when you when you decided to make that move, was there anything that you wish you, you could have done differently? If you were going to give somebody advice on, on moving abroad and pursuing a more international career, what advice would you give them based on your own experience? I think based on my own experience, for anyone at a younger point in their career looking to move abroad, I would certainly say if the opportunity is there, do your best to grasp it. Um, learning from every possible opportunity you can, I think, is, is always worthwhile and making the most of, of each day. And if you can approach those days with, with energy and vigor um, throughout your career path, um, certainly I think that is, is the best possible way to take the next steps in your life. 
Mm. And how did you find the experience of when you first moved to Dubai? Did you find it overwhelming at any point? Did it, was it a culture shock? Did you, was there anything that you were kind of like, oh, maybe I haven't made the right decision? Or did you settle in immediately and felt very at home from the start? I actually felt very much at home upon arriving in Dubai. Um, certainly, it's a large change when you move to another country without your friends, family, partner, um, or otherwise. So that, that makes the biggest change, I would say. Um, however, the expat community in the Middle East is very warm and welcoming, and it's certainly a very great place to, to make new friends um, on, on that side of things. Um, now, in terms of, of those that are looking to come out here and, and move, I would certainly say take the opportunity if it does arrive. And how did you find that the the actual property markets differed? What were the the big differences between the Middle East and and London? Great question. I would actually say there's actually a few similarities between the Dubai market and the London market. I think the main one is how cosmopolitan both are in their nature. Uh, Both in London and Dubai, there can be buyers and sellers of all nationalities found uh, every day. I would actually say perhaps what struck me as is most different is that sometimes the transactional pace can be a little bit faster on the ground in Dubai versus in London. The processes can be a little different. For example, uh, in London, both buyer and seller uh, would be represented by their respective legal party, their solicitor, um, who would carry out the conveyance for them. Um, here on the ground in Dubai, that can often be not be the case, and you may not need a lawyer, nor even a conveyancing partner at all uh, to progress a property transaction. So it makes a, a huge difference. Mm, that's really interesting. And and obviously you worked across both both London and the Middle East when you were uh, head of London International Property Sales. What was the experience like of working both in London and in the Middle East? You obviously did a lot of work. Um, I know from a social media perspective, you did a lot of work on, on a development called Lincoln Square. So what was the, the what, how do you manage that relationship working across two different countries? Definitely, it was a fantastic opportunity to bridge both markets at the same time, having access to some of London's finest projects, you know, for example, Lincoln Square, and having the opportunity to work with potential buyers, investors, or, or those families looking for second homes in London, and, and marry up with, with projects like uh, Lincoln Square or, or otherwise, Becky. Um, certainly a great experience, and I, I highly enjoyed having the opportunity to work in two markets at the same time. And in terms of having to, to work across two different um, countries and two different time zones at the same time, how did you find that? Obviously, it's it's imaginably quite difficult having to balance two different places doing two different things. So what was that experience like? Uh, definitely an interesting experience, especially when I first arrived and put foot on the ground in the Middle East. Um, certainly what always sounded a little bit odd and almost does to this day, Becky, is booking meetings for a Sunday morning. Um, our weekend here is Friday and Saturdays, um, so perhaps we will be on the go throughout the week from Sunday all the way through to Friday when the UK is still operating, um, and then uh, perhaps Saturdays will be a little bit quieter. Certainly also the time zone difference. Uh, we're now at the moment, it's just four hours different, so in terms of booking conference calls or otherwise meetings, viewings, appointments uh, with the UK and other global markets, I mean, take some practice, I think, in terms of refining your hours and, and uh, making sure you you make the most of the hours that you do have in your day. And when you first moved to Dubai, obviously, being in, in London, things might have taken a little bit longer in terms of career development because the market is, at Night Frank especially, a little more saturated and a new result ranks quite quickly in, in the Dubai office. And how did you find taking on such senior roles at such an early stage in your career? Fortunately, throughout my career, I actually had some excellent role models to learn from. And I guess that's one of the huge benefits of working for a firm such as Knight Frank is that actually they were there and I could seek guidance from them throughout. Um, I did my best to learn from them at 
every possible opportunity in terms of, of their role and, and perhaps how it can be done and how things can be improved going ahead. Mm, and did you have, uh, say, mentors in, in London or Dubai? Did you have people that you particularly went to for that advice? In London on the graduate scheme, um, there were several familiar faces, both those that were uh, perhaps previous graduates on years, uh, the head of the graduate scheme, or those that perhaps you were reporting into for that period of time, whether it's one quarter of the year or otherwise. Um, so very you know, excellent people who are still in the business today. Um, and actually, I would still pick up the phone and and, and love to talk to every now and then to, to check in with them. Uh, upon the ground here in the Middle East, um, certainly uh, lines of management here or otherwise are, are hugely beneficial for learning from um, and making the most of, of the experience that they already have. And something that's uh, particularly unique about, about your career trajectory and about your, your role at Knight Frank is that you decided to learn Arabic upon, upon moving to the Middle East. Why did you decide to learn the language and not just rely, as I suppose a lot of people do, on being able to just speak English and have those communications in, in your own language with people? Why was it so important to you to learn Arabic as well? It was always a source of interest to me to uh, study another language. I'm not particularly proficient at many other languages, perhaps a little bit of school level French, Becky. Um, Arabic was something which um, struck me as particularly interesting on the ground. Yes, in Dubai, perhaps less used on a day to day basis, but certainly when I started to travel more around the region, I might have spent two or three days traveling in Saudi Arabia um, in airports, taxis, meetings, um, clients, offices, or otherwise. Um, and using English there is perhaps not particularly helpful um, on the ground on a day-to-day -day basis. So Arabic was necessary to get by and travel between appointments. Um, from there, actually, what, was, what started as taking a few lessons, Becky, and actually I, I started reading and writing a little bit more as well, and my enjoyment of it uh, grew. And the more you study perhaps languages, the more you learn about somebody else's culture as well. And the insight into to how things um, work culturally in the Middle East only grew in my interest with that, with the language uh, as well, feeding into it. Mm, that's amazing. And would you then say to anybody who was looking at making that international move, even if it wasn't from necessarily from London to, to Dubai or the Middle East, would you recommend that anybody tries to learn the language of the country they're going to? Do you think that really improves your working relationships with clients and people that you deal with over there? Yes, agreed. Um, it's not just in terms of logistics of getting around, but working relationships with clients. Uh, even my written Arabic these days, I might even have you know a high net worth client coming to me and, and correcting small parts of it, which is very nice. But they're, they're thrilled to see that uh, at least an attempt was made. <laughs> um, I think perhaps if it's nothing more than somebody learning uh, a warm greeting in Arabic, which there are many, it's a very diverse language, um, that goes a very long way locally here on the ground. And did you find that it was um, a difficult language to learn? Did you have any teething issues when you were learning it? And and if so, did it ever put you off learning it? Or were you really committed to to making sure that you fully embedded yourself in the culture? Um, yes, teething issues and still to this day, uh, ongoing teething issues with the language, Becky, is um, incredibly tricky. Um, it, there are, are many similar words for, for what we might have one for in English. There, there could be 15 or 20 different types of words and ways to describe it in Arabic. Um, I actually even found myself in the early days, Becky, going back to uh, explanations of A-level English grammar to understand a concept in English grammar that perhaps I wasn't too tuned into back when, when studying my GCSEs or otherwise, understanding it again in English so I could relearn it in Arabic and how the, the language and grammar works and the depth of the grammar in Arabic uh, to be able to apply it locally.
So yes, I still think ongoing teething issues, but it's it's a really fantastic learn, language to learn, uh, and I would highly recommend it to anyone looking at it. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's such an impressive thing to have done, and something and linking that in as well to something else that you do, which is you have um, an incredibly large social media platform on Instagram and you have over 20,000 followers and something that you do on your platform is that you create content in both Arabic and English. Do you think that through doing that, through through using those language skills and appealing to audiences in both both English speaking and Arabic speaking countries, that's enabled you to, to cultivate this platform and develop the following that you have? I would agree that perhaps there are many opportunities to... Uh engage with and interact with English-speaking real estate advisors globally out there. I would say perhaps for those that perhaps can advise you but also translate it into a local language, into Arabic, um, that's certainly a value add. Uh, I know that many of my clients, Becky, find my Arabic uh, quite amusing. I speak very formally as opposed to in any of the local dialects. I actually speak more of a, a formal dialect perhaps that you would hear on, on Sky News or BBC News Arabic if you turn that on, uh, which is always a source of amusement. Um, so it's certainly, yes, I would think um, I would encourage those that perhaps are learning or otherwise to, to do try it a bit more and uh, practice it on your social media. Mm, and what benefit do you think having having such a prolific Instagram account has had for you? Do you find that you're finding new clients through social media? Do you find that you you manage to complete transactions or gain new business or have amazing opportunities come up as a result of using social media so much? That is a great question. I would say perhaps in, in the past two years or so, Becky, um, it's become even more um, prominent in my day-to-day -day work um, with Mike Frank in the Middle East. Um, the client meetings that I've received, and, and actually I'm thrilled to have the, the followers that I do, um, wanting to engage uh, and learn more about real estate and ask me questions. Um, we have closed a good amount of business off the back of the followers uh, who have been interacting with me and, and asked for more information, and we've, we've grown the relationship from that. Um, I have frequent meetings, probably every couple of weeks or so, um, with new followers of mine who want to engage and start talking about real estate um, and, and certainly uh, grow their knowledge either of UK property or, or elsewhere further and want to take that first step through social media. Mm, and what advice would you give to somebody looking at your social media platform, working in the industry, who wants to, to build theirs and cultivate their own following and, and develop that personal brand on their platform? What advice would you give to them? Certainly, I would suggest that the, the personal touch is, is what it's all about, really, in my opinion. I, I think perhaps if you can put a face to everything you're talking about uh, or displaying or, or otherwise discussing on social media, that's incredibly important. Um, also, that being of a value add, um, if you can advise people. I recently, for example, Becky, made a one-minute snapshot to explain what is stamp duty in Arabic uh, to my followers. Uh, and I've posted that online in the past month or so, and that was very well received. Uh, I forwarded it around to a few clients on WhatsApp as well who'd already recently been asking me to explain how stamp duty works. Uh, now, I'm not a tax advisor otherwise, but merely giving a snapshot overview of what it is and the buying process of UK property uh, is of huge value add. Yeah, definitely. It's all about having that USP and being able to to give people knowledge. I suppose when people are using Instagram, they're using it a lot of the time just to kind of look at nice looking things, look at nice houses, that sort of thing. But if you can actually disseminate some really helpful information, that can only be only be an asset to to your account. And so obviously this this podcast is is called At Home With. And, and our listeners, as I've just talked about with the personal side of things, love hearing about 
your own life and your own home and and your own property experiences. And so when looking for your home in in Dubai, what sort of things were you looking for and how and how does looking for a home in Dubai differ to looking for a home in say London? Um, in Dubai, I'm very fortunate to say, Becky, I am able to walk to work, uh, which in London, I certainly know from my, my many years of working in London, it was not possible um, to do so. Um, I walk to work um, sometimes uh, throughout the majority of the year, the weather is fantastic, and you're able to get a reasonably sunny 20 or 25 degree temperature walk um, in the mornings, which I, I really highly enjoy. Um, so being close to the office, I think, has been number one priority. Um, Again, secondly, apartments, and if we were to compare them like for like, Becky, uh, your space that perhaps you'd get in your own home in Dubai might be a little bit bigger on a square footage basis. Um, so even a, a one-bedroom apartment might be 700, 800, 900 square feet. Two-bedroom could be 1,400 or 1,500 as a minimum size. Um, so certainly you get a little bit more space here than you would do perhaps in London, even the outskirts of London. And obviously lockdown forced us all to, to have a look a little bit more at, at our homes and what we liked about them and what we didn't like about them and what we were looking for. When, when in this period and, and more generally, where did you find yourself gravitating towards in your home? Where was it in particular that you found that you loved the most? Um, certainly spent a lot of my time in, in the study whilst working, um, making sure that we had our super fast broadband connected throughout, um, which is of key importance when setting up a, a study at home. Um, it was actually great to, we're very fortunate, my wife and I, we have a one-year-old little boy um, and spending a, a little bit more time there. So perhaps, you know, in between meetings on your lunch break or otherwise, perhaps popping out and, and seeing the family, I found was a, of a huge benefit in, in the lockdown working from home setup. Um, so I think gravitating towards, but, you know, both your study um, and quiet space of getting on with work, but also somewhere where you, you can meet with your family. Mm. And did you find yourself struggling a little bit more to to balance the personal and the work life when when working from home? What was that experience like for you? I didn't find any particular struggle in terms of balancing um, personal work life. Um, I, I think things carry on uh, within reason, very similar to as they were. Um, but no, very nice opportunity to see the family a little bit more, I would say. I would perhaps even venture to say maybe the balance was a little bit better. Oh, that's amazing to hear. I think a lot of people, especially from interviews we've done on this podcast, found it a little bit a bit tricky, but it's good to hear that, that you didn't. And to move on to slightly more um, looking at your property career from a, a transaction basis, what would you say has been your most exciting or interesting um, deal or, or client experience or just general property experience to date? I would say there's one particular one, uh, even this past summer, Becky, that stood out for me, which was a, a high net worth family purchasing two apartments in southwest London with me. Um, the ticket size was, was around about £13 million pounds or so. And it, the particular transaction took place during lockdown, which presented a, a whole raft of challenges that perhaps um, myself, the lawyer, uh, the purchaser, we had not come across this before. And it took a lot of time. Uh, and uh, special efforts to progress the sale, um, ensure that everyone was kept calm throughout, um, not just the buyer, but could even be the lawyer, the bank, or otherwise uh, throughout this time, um, getting a mortgage through, um, took uh, a lot of time, but I'm persistent. And I was so thrilled by how happy uh, our buyer and obviously client vendor was by the end of this um, to get this transaction over the line uh, by the end of the summer. So um, no, that was one of the ones that really stuck out for me this year. 
Mm, amazing and especially during lockdown as well to be able to complete a transaction of that size is amazing and and that links into to something that's come up recently and that is the launch of our of our private office in the Middle East which you are you're heading up was this something that you'd been talking about for for a long time or is this something that that came from lockdown and and transactions like that uh, not something I've been talked about for a long time, Becky, but um, I've been certainly from the Middle East here interacting a lot more with the private office team, um, with Rory, Paddy, Tom, uh, or otherwise uh, across the UK, uh, both on a residential and on the commercial side for, for many, many months. And it seemed like a natural step to grow and set up and establish the Middle East private office offering locally here on the ground. And how will you be working with with the private office in London? Is that is it almost an extension of the same private office, or is it a very separate entity? I would see it as, as completely wholly one entity, Becky, um, and purely an extension of of the team in London. Um, we very much speak every day, and I'm speaking with multiple members of the private office um, two or three times per day, uh, advising different clients or otherwise. Now, whilst I'm here and I can meet with the client on the ground in the Middle East, um, if we're looking for advisory work for them in London or, or in Europe or the US or otherwise, I was certainly teaming up with various private office team members. Mm, amazing. And it's such an exciting, exciting thing to be happening um, for Knight Frank and for you personally. And and what are you personally most excited about, about taking on this new role? Obviously, it's a huge opportunity. How, what's the thing that you're looking forward to doing the most with it? I think the most exciting thing is actually to uh, broaden up my offering to our clients that I can offer on an individual basis. So whereas before, perhaps I would refer business, you know, to 20 different departments for Knight Frank, if it was a, a high net worth family that had a, a large portfolio, um, these days, I can still act as a single conduit, whether we're talking about a residential property in London or, or New York or, or Germany, um, or, or their commercial property in the UK or, or locally here in Dubai. And whilst I won't get involved in you know, the nitty gritty of a transaction or, or a feasibility study um, of some land in Saudi Arabia, what I will be there is the conduit for that client holding their hand throughout and ensuring they, they get the service that they deserve. Mm, amazing. And we'll make sure that we link, uh, link below to the private office website so people can have a look and see some more information on there too. Um, and is there anything that you're working on at the moment? Or are there any projects or developments or particular properties that you're working on at the moment that you'd like to promote and speak a little bit more about? Certainly, Becky. I think two of the key projects that we've been working on lately um, where I've had a good amount of Middle Eastern interest. Um, the first one that comes to mind is number one, Grosvenor Square in Mayfair. Mayfair is certainly a, a well-known and trodden path for the Middle Eastern high net worth community. Um, this particular project by the Loader Group on Grosvenor Square is certainly one that stands out for me as being a particularly attractive offering for our Middle Eastern clients. When looking beyond the realms of the UK, um, we've had a lot of clients recently perhaps venturing over to the US and something that certainly stands out for me there is the residences that come with the Waldorf Astoria in Manhattan, New York. Um, the hotel style offering uh, on the ground there in New York is certainly something that resonates and, and Middle Eastern clients recognize that well as we do have similar offerings here in the Middle East. So those are the two there, Becky, that I would like to highlight. Amazing, they both sound incredible and we'll make sure to link them in the show notes too. So we begin to wrap up every podcast with a quickfire round. And the first question of which is city or country? Having grown up in Somerset, Becky, I would certainly say country. Classic or contemporary? Classic. Penthouse or townhouse? Penthouse. Cool or email? Cool, always. Office or working from home? Office. Instagram or LinkedIn? Instagram. Walk or run? Run. And finally, Dubai or London? Here's a tricky one there, Becky. I would say 
my heart still lies in London. Amazing. And the final question that we ask everybody who comes on the podcast is, what does being a partner in property mean to you? Certainly a very special question that, Becky, uh, and, and timely at this, uh, where I am in my career. When we advise our clients uh, at the moment, certainly in the private office capacity, Becky, we're not just advising them on a single property transaction now today and then you know we move on tomorrow. This is about talking about their entire portfolio, their entire strategy of their real estate um, for now and in the future and what we can do to be of a value add to them in that time. I would say this certainly fits in very well with the Middle Eastern culture that we have here, which is you know, very hospitable locally on the ground here and the warmth um, that you receive from our clients here locally. Um, so I would say partner in property means it's not just your partner for today, but certainly um, throughout your, your entire career and lifespan in the real estate sector. Amazing. Henry, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Becky. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of At Home With. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media, and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.